if you're going for a loan at the moment or you anticipate in the next month or so, go this fortnight before that raise because you'll actually be assessed at a lower rate. So you need to understand if you want to borrow money and you think you're a bit too close, get in sooner rather than later. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Hello, hello, everyone. And you'll need to forgive my voice. I'm still recovering from the lurky. But today I have got Louise Lucas. Now, Louise and I are kindred spirits. We've known one another for quite a few years. We met in Business Blueprint and we've had all sorts of fun and shenanigans together. Although I will say I do not swear to the same way that Louise does. Thanks, Bernadette. And I'm trying to be on my best behaviour for you. But she is a rock star broker. She specialises in first home buyers. However, she has negotiated the challenges of Wonder Woman financing and we are very grateful to her for that. So I'll let you introduce yourself more fully, Louise. So welcome and thank you for coming on. Oh, no, it's such a pleasure to be with you always, Bernadette. And I love looking after your women uh, because they are super wonder women. It's true. And they're always a joy and sensible and, and going for it. And we love helping people who are having a go. I've been in broking since 2007, just in time to get right into that GFC. And we were helping lots of investors for the first 15 years, really. <laughs> and so we still do a lot of investment loans my team is basically, we have three, four brokers in Melbourne, but we help clients all over Australia and we have a large five people offshore who help with all the back office stuff and they are amazing and so clever. So I'm very lucky that we have that support for you all. Yes. So, oh, oh no, here's trouble. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> probably that's probably true so and Ali, maybe, next one to no one just so yeah, thank you <laughs> and maybe my language is reflective of my having to deal with the banks all day <laughs> so let's just blame the circumstances shall we rather than the than, yeah but no I'll do my best I'll be I'll be good I promise <laughs> anyway and okay. so we're going to talk about the interest rates we're also going to talk both ends of the spectrum first-time buyers and then retirees and in between. Okay. First up, I better give our general finance disclaimer. I just want you to know that whatever we're discussing today is not designed for you. It might have of interest to you, but please let someone sensible with the licence assess you properly first before you take action because you might, as I have found so often lately, people go and apply by themselves and then end up in a world of pain because they didn't understand what they were doing. And the rules around lending now are very comprehensive and we get updates daily from, at least daily, from most lenders. The changes are dynamic and constant. You think you can do that on your own, good luck. I think you'll be working it very hard. It is hard. It's really hard work at the moment. And if you've got multiple investment properties or you want to invest, 
it's even trickier. But there's been some good things come out of the recent rate rises, which mightn't feel like good, but some of the lenders are now assessing rental income. At one point, they used to give us 100% of the rent. Then they've dropped it to 80%. They'd only accept 80% of your rental income. Now, lots of them are moving back to 90% of the rent, which is interesting. So they're trying to counteract the effect of the interest rate rises by allowing you to use more of your rent in servicing. So that's really positive for us as an investor, you know, you and it can help a lot in what you can borrow because of the way they assess it. So you need to know which lenders are doing that and which ones are still not. So it's a really important distinction about whether to use a broker or not. And so when you go to the bank, I'm just going to clarify this, Louise, obviously you know this, but when you go to the bank, you work with someone who has not got a clue about property, number one. They're usually there for three months and then they get shipped out. You only get access to that bank's products and it makes it very hard to manage your credit score because for those who don't know, every time uh, you make application for a loan, that has a negative impact on your credit score. So if you're just going to the bank and saying, can I, can I borrow money for this, that's going to be a hit on your credit file. So if you're going to a broker, now there are good and bad brokers, I want to say. There are brokers who know how to work the system and then there are the other ones. And obviously Louise is a broker who knows how to work the system. She's just, yeah, she's red hot. (laughs) And uh, then they can direct you to the lender that's going to meet at your needs the best you know some banks they've got investment on the nose and they don't want to lend to investors some banks don't want to lend to business so you go to a broker so that you can navigate the bank's nuances or the all the various banks and have exposure to instead of how many people have you how many lenders we, do you work with yeah we work with over 40 lenders okay so, so there you yeah. go so the other, yeah you're absolutely right oh. Bernard. And the one thing that brokers have that legally that we are obliged, we have a best interest duty. So we have to provide advice in your best interest. And if that includes not working with me and going somewhere else, I do that as well. Whereas a bank does not have a best interest duty. They can stitch you up into anything they choose and they're not advised at all. So the main reason that we're talking today is because Louise has obviously a lot of history and contacts in the banking industry so she hears things that we don't hear and she also sees lots of deals going over her desk so I'm always interested in what she's got to say about what's going on now we had another interest rise yesterday which nobody well I shouldn't say nobody was expecting but very few people were expecting Mm. what do you think about that Louise well, I think they've cooked the goose a bit hard, actually. I think they could have waited a bit longer. And I suspect, although some of the economists were saying, yes, they'll definitely rise again. And part of the reason why is because they see uh, savings in people's offset accounts as counting against us. And despite interest rate rising 10, 11 times in the last whatever, up until December, Uh, savings increased in offset accounts. So as the rates were going up, people's savings were increasing, which is really interesting. And they're trying to say, well, you know, 
that that means that people are not under hardship so they can afford. But I am seeing a different picture out there now and I'm seeing a lot of businesses finding things a lot harder, a lot slower, desperately slower. And I think that's hasn't percolated through to the RBA just yet. And I would not be surprised if before too long we end up getting, I have no crystal ball, so let's not get deluded here <laughs> about my psychic powers because no no one knows and no economist knows either. But I would not be surprised if we end up getting a rate reduction before too long. At the moment, the banks are pricing three-year fixed interest rates around the 5.5 mark. Yeah. So what does that tell me? Generally, banks do not lose on fixed rate loans, generally speaking. Mm. So they think five and a half is an average over three years that they're going to win at and the variable rate's about the same at the moment. Me thinks the variable rate's probably going to go down. But yeah. I don't know yeah. for sure, but that's what I suspect anyway. Yeah, because um, was CBA last week reduced their fixed rate, didn't they? Lots and then of- the others followed suit. Have they all no. done it? No, different banks, different things. So some raised, like they're all raising on different days at the moment. And like NAB came out yesterday and they're raising their rates to start on May 12th. So if you're... Uh, going for a loan at the moment or you anticipate in the next month or so, go this fortnight before that raise because you'll actually be assessed at a lower rate. So you need to understand if you want to borrow money and you think you're a bit too close, get in sooner rather than later. It could cause you to be able to borrow a lot less because, you know. But then there's other good news, like I said, about um, rents being considered, they're actually giving us more rents. So, they're accepting more, more rent and less expenses, which is great. And, Bernadette, I think I sent you some info on this recently. One of the lenders said they'll now accept three months of Airbnb income and extrapolate that out over 12 months. That's pretty rare, mind you. Most lenders want at least six, maybe 12 months of full Airbnb rental before they will count it as income. So if you're applying for a loan and you're purchasing, that's easy. You just give them an estimate from a lender, from a real estate agent that shows potential rent over 12 months, what they expect. And just a note on that, because I'm on it, with rents, if an agent can give you one figure, not a range, because if they go, oh, you know, we expect, you know, 800 to 950, don't do that because the bank always will use the lower they will always yes. use the 800. So yeah. if you can, just get a figure, 900, bang, yeah. and then we can yeah. use the 900. So just, just as a word to the wise, when you're asking agents for that sort of information, make it really clear what you want and most of them will oblige you. Yes, because they want to sell the property. Um, exactly. And so for those of you who don't know, if you're buying a product, like you're buying a renovation project that you're going to renovate, you use the rental statement, the potential rent, even if you're not going to rent it, to help you to get the loan for it. So what Louise is talking about is you would go to the selling agent and say, can you give me a rental statement for this property? And as Louise just said, say, please give a figure, not just not a range, and please make it as high as you can legally do that. And then that goes into your application. Servicing, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it helps yeah. with the servicing of the loan. So yeah. we can actually use that. Yeah. Yeah. And as Louise mentioned, now some banks are taking 90% of that rent into your servicing, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And what interest rate? Is it a two percent buffer or is it three? I can't. I no, can't... at the moment it's still a three percent buffer. So that's that's part of our problem because if you're paying um, five and a half or six percent currently, and then they put a buffer on top of three percent, which is ASIC, um, Australian Securities yeah. Investment Commission's mandatory requirements yeah then you're being tested at nine percent or nine and a half which is just ridiculous you know because no one's seeing interest rates going there anytime soon yeah but you know this is that that's how they've protected us so far because they've always had this buffer in the system however the buffer is a bit extreme and part of the problem with that buffer is if you go to, say you're paying 6%, but I can get you a new loan at 5.25, for example, but if I've got to test you at a buffer of 9%, then you might not qualify. And yet the truth is you're already paying at 6 Why wouldn't they let us help you and get a 5.25, you know? Yeah. It makes no sense. It's, mm. it's, you know, they should be able, if you can pay it at the current rate, you should be able to pay it at the cheaper rate and at least then, you know, you've still got a couple of interest rate rises. So lots of people are lobbying ASIC at the moment to say, how about, you know, doing something about the buffer because it is a bit severe. But it'll be interesting to see what effect it has. But, and that was the other thing, like people are now above whatever their buffer was when they got their loan. So... That's why they're feeling the pinch, maybe because we, when we serviced them originally at two percent, you know, they they were already paying five, but now they're paying five. They're feeling it really, and yeah. going into six, it's getting a bit yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, and so people yeah. had loans which they're now paying a thousand dollars, you know, a month more for. Well, finding another thousand can be quite painful. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Now, is that freaking out first home buyers? First home buyers are still buying, absolutely, because rents are rocketing. Yeah. So if you're investing and you want to rent out, there's lots of opportunities for you. People are more scared often about staying in rental and not being able to afford it or get something that they like. So they figure, well, we may as well pay our own mortgage. Absolutely, absolutely. And there are lots of incentives in terms of the deposit. Yes, it's great. The so do you first want to talk us through those? Yeah, sure. I'll give you a great example. A client, young client of mine bought a property in Victoria, so that has different rules in each state. So, And you do need to verify each state what qualifies as your rules. But feel free if you want us to help you and do an assessment, we can tell you all of those for wherever you are. But just as an example, I had a young chap buy a property in Victoria. Because he was a first-term buyer, he didn't pay any stamp duty because the property was under 600000 He also didn't pay lender's mortgage insurance, although he only had a 5% deposit. So with 5% deposit, he could actually utilise the government's first-term buyer deposit scheme, which meant the federal government would guarantee the lender's mortgage insurance to the lender. And that's great because that saved you can save ten thousand dollars, you know, on that. So that's a great deal, and means he could need to put less money into the deal. So if you're buying a property and you're a first home buyer and you want to renovate and you want to save some of your cash to do the renovation, this is a great way to do it. Great way to do it. Borrow at ninety five percent. Use the government if you can to do the lender's mortgage insurance, and then use your cash to do your reno. And then the third thing he got was because the property was less than five years old and it was built by the owners and it had never been sold, 
as such. They had built it. So it qualified as a new build because it had never been sold before. So we also got back $10,000 from the state government as a first-time buyer's grant. He was practically paid to move into it, really. It was ridiculous. And then 12 months later, he was able to revalue We got because we got a good deal, got the price up, able to borrow again, got a deposit, bought a second one, and away we go again. So... Yeah, it's amazing what you can get. If you can utilise all those opportunities, go for it. It's fabulous. And there was a new announcement this week by the federal government that they are extending that first home buyer's deposit scheme to other people. So at the moment you had to be an Australian citizen. Uh, we have to have your notice of assessment and your Medicare card, et cetera, et cetera. Now after, after July 1, if you're a permanent resident, you can also apply under this scheme and that's a great bonus for people who are just coming here. They also say they're doing it for people who borrow together like sister, siblings or friends. Most banks know that's a world of pain that they're getting people into and they don't like it. I'm just letting you know. If you think it's the best way, I will generally say to you, lenders know that it's not great and that is why they don't do it as that's not their, you know, preferred way. They will do it, but they, it's not the preferred way to lend, particularly if you've got little skin in the game. It can be really tricky. So just consider who you're borrowing with and what. But anyway, but there's opportunities there that weren't there five minutes ago. So that's good too. All right. So tell me about that siblings borrowing together. Is that, well, that notoriously problematic, is it? It is. It is. And we find banks will tell you most of the time people end up, one will pay the mortgage and one won't or one won't put enough in. So there are certain lenders who will separate out the loans and then make it very clear who's responsible for what and not make you responsible for the other persons, which is yeah. a really, that is a really significant distinction when you're borrowing and it's really important to to note if you're borrowing together you need to be set up structured in a way that you're not necessarily responsible because what some lenders will do was take your only own half the property so you only get half the rent but they make you responsible for the full debt so it's really important that you know where you're borrowing and what's your long-term idea it can be the same for joint ventures, and it's a good question, yes, but it depends on the structure and how, what entity is borrowing. Is it under two individual names or, you know, who's doing the borrowing, et cetera? Yeah. So it's definitely a case-by-case -case basis <laughs> at any rate. But what I've found often over the years is, like, siblings will buy together, great, and will set them up with distinct loans, and one of them will, like, have paid down 50 grand of their loan in three years and the other one will have paid nothing. And then one of them needs is going off to get married and they need to sell or the other one can't buy the one out and they can't borrow again. So they sell them out and then you've got to say, well, who paid what? And that's really important to know. That's why you want it structured right from the start. So it's very clear who, who has been paying and who hasn't. And I'll thank you. Anyway, <laughs> thanks, Kim. <laughs> Yeah, just so you know, it's really tricky to anticipate. This isn't just I'm borrowing today and these are my circumstances. You actually have to consider, well, what's going to happen over the next five to ten years and what will we end up with? Because it can change how you structure today. 
Anyway, but you've got to know when you go to the bank, they're not going to ask you these questions because they haven't seen the war zones that I have maybe. <laughs> so anyway, just so you know. That's awesome. My experience, like we do borrow through the bank because obviously when you are flipping, that can, that's, you know. I love you telling them that. Thank you, Bernadette, because flipping is one of those things, people. The brokers, we don't get paid if the loan is not staying in place for two years or more. You know, they just claw back what they paid it. So that can be really, really devastating when you've worked really hard for someone, got them a great loan, and then they either sell it or refinance and then, or you've, you know, whatever's happened in their life. And the whole money that you earned is taken from you. It's pretty devastating, let me tell you. So, Absolutely. So what I wanted also to talk about is, I know I touched on this with you the other day, but because we have a strategy called Renovate Your Retirement, and often people are concerned towards retirement, may not have the same borrowing capacity. And so I thought that it was worth talking about the reverse mortgage. Now, before we launch into it, personally, I would never do it to and have the interest eating away at my equity. I'd do it only as a short-term cash thing. But can you explain how that works? I can. I used to think reverse mortgages were really, oh, so evil. But as it turns out, when I... When clients have asked me over the years, and now I've done quite a lot of them, I go, oh, this is actually works for people really well. It can work for people really, really well, depending on your circumstances, of course. And so you can borrow depending on the youngest person in the household. So they have to be over 60. As long as the youngest person in the household is over 60, they can borrow. And it's all then a percentage of the value of the property. So For example, if you had a $1.5 million property that had no debt on it, preferably, and you're 65, you could borrow about 375, for example. All right. Now, borrowing that as a lump sum can work. You can get it into an account and or draw it only down as you need it and then put it back when you don't. So just what Bernadette's saying, you can actually only pay interest when you use it and then put it back when you're not and then borrow and use it again and then not. The problem sometimes for people if they're on the pension is pulling down a large sum of cash like that can affect your pension. I don't know all the ins and outs of that. You really must speak to a financial advisor, a planner about those circumstances but just, or your, and your accountant should be able to help but certainly a financial planner would know the ins and outs on that and be very prudent on it. But reverse mortgages can be really useful for people if they want to stay in their home and they're over a certain age and they need to renovate or do something and they or they need cash. You can draw down a loan of say four hundred thousand, but only get take five thousand a month for the next you know five years if you wanted, and that's that's great. So you're only paying interest on the part that you borrowing so at the end of first year you owe 60 grand you're only paying interest on that and you just get your five grand a month it's fantastic and that improves people's life enormously just knowing that money's coming every month and if you've got a big property that's unencumbered and you at the time you can't afford your rates well how great to be able to get a a loan like that it's fabulous for people and it really gives them great reassurance but anyway that's awesome Well, you've been an absolute fountain of information today. I think 
pretty much covered right. the main topics. I was going to ask you how far do you think the Reserve Bank will go with interest rates, but I decided that's probably not much use. No, my crystal ball. As I've said, though, no, I'm really anticipating they will come off, but when? Yeah. I'm not sure. And, yeah. boy, they're giving him rum in the paper. They definitely want him sacked, don't they? <laughs> it's just like because <laughs> people are like, you do not know what you're dealing with out there in the community. It is a different story for people in business, I think, of starting to really feel the pinch. So it yeah. might take a while to show in the stats. I think that's the problem. But the yeah. stats they're looking at and what effect it has is maybe two different things to us. So. There. But the other thing, and I think this is a problem with statistics, is mm. like it's over the whole population. Mm. And, of course, you know, like everything, 80%, like probably not in the situation that they're talking about, it's probably 20% if that, people that are saving, and it's the 80% that are suffering as a result of their saving. There's lots of factors. work. Well, they say over the course, over the population of Australia, a third of people own their house outright, a third uh, are paying a mortgage and a third are in investing, I think, was, you know, have more than one and have a loan. So, yeah, there's a lot of people who've borrowed and are feeling it. I know yeah. people are feeling very uncomfortable. Yeah, sorry. But just on that note, finally, please don't suffer alone. If you're just worried about money and you want to talk some strategies on how to deal with it, ring me. Don't hesitate because I'd hate to see someone out there suffering. And I always have ideas of what to do because there's heaps of them. And I was yep. even talking to a young first-home buyer and she said, what am I going to do if rates go up? I go, right, well, that's easy. Let's brainstorm now. What? How can we manage this? So could you rent out a second bedroom? Can you move back to mum and dad's and rent the place out? Yes, you can. Great. Well, would the rent do it? Yes, it would. So hallelujah. Happy days, yeah. you know. So there's all lots of things you can do and maybe just borrow a little bit more and always have a buffer. I always advise people try and get that extra 20K if you can as, as a buffer account with offset or money in it, just sitting there, not paying interest, just waiting for you in case of that emergency. So you never feel like you're under pressure, you know, always keep keep something in reserve. But anyway. Absolutely. We've always had that. And, and I just never, like, if I get a surprise bill, I never panic about it because I know that I've got that just sitting there. The bank doesn't like it very much. but It's not our problem. They're not exactly losing in this country. No, they win. They win, so it's okay. Just one more thing. So you're seeing deals come over your desk. Generally, when you buy an investment property, it's nearly always negatively geared, isn't it? It's pretty well always, yeah. Yeah. So is that still the same? With the rate, increased interest rates, uh, rents, is that making any difference to that scenario? No. Uh, no, the interest rates are well and truly compensating for any increase in rents. It's... It's yeah. possible that someone has so low a debt. I did see one actually today. They had a net effect of rent was positive, but they've had that property probably 10 years. So yeah. that in those circumstances maybe. Yeah. Mm. Okay. okay. And then it depends. So then that's a whole other strategy. What are you going to do about it? So sometimes we might then convert a loan that was principal and interest to interest only. It means you're increasing your interest payment and the interest rate is higher but it might help you for tax purposes. Sometimes accountants advise to do that. So there's some options there to have a look at. Mm. Yeah, excellent. So if someone wants to get in contact with you, 
what do they do? Please go to the propertyed.com.au, book a time, give us a call. It's all on there. So propertyed.com.au. I'm really sorry I didn't prepare a slide or a, I usually have a QR code too. I was a bit slack. Thank you, That's Bernard. That's right. We'll put it in the notes. And, Louise, I look forward to seeing you at retreat. Yes, you will. I can't wait to be there. I can't wait to be with you all because we have a great time together and we learn lots. I was blown away last year. It was amazing. I couldn't believe some of the things we saw and learnt, so I'm really looking forward to that again. Thanks, Bernadette. You are welcome. Well, on that note, Mikey, we're done. Bye. This is the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.